0: That that was going to be a great track. Guys, what's the deal? Uh, Are you sure that was sounding okay? I'll be honest, fellas, it was sounding great, but I could have used a little more cowbell.
1: And we're back in live. I'm Jimmy Krupka. This is Ski Racing This Week. Hello, everyone. I'm pumped. I walked out of the interview last week with Lucas Broughton and I just knew. I felt like Terry Gross or Howard Stern out there. And let me tell you, you guys, all you loyal listeners, you came through. The numbers were up big time last week. So I feel invigorated. I feel reinvigorated, even as quarantine continues on. Actually, apparently. Eagle County, I'm here in Vail right now, may start to open up soon because there aren't many people here, and it was the first county to lock down. Just rumors, though. We'll see. Now, I'm going to jump right into our mail readings because that's another reason I'm psyched. I got some great messages this week, so keep them coming. First, I got an email from David who responded to my query to listeners of this show last episode, whether they are, were, or still kind of consider themselves ski racers. David says that yes, he was and is a ski racer, but notably he tells us two things. One, he wants to hear more about injury prevention. I agree. Um, I was pumped on the GS back segment we did last week. If you haven't heard it, go listen. It's great. Um, And I want to talk a little bit more about knees because obviously that's huge in ski racing. And two, he's friends with Victor Mufajande, who before I really tried on my pronunciations, was just called Muffin Jeans. <laughs> Could be sweet to have him on the show. Olympic medalist. Cool guy. So I hear. Next, I got a video and a message from Sam, who set a course at the small family-owned Cochrane ski area in Vermont before the snow melted. He's skiing and hiking a full slalom course. It's fantastic. Got me super excited, uh, despite the snow looking like horrendously bumpy refreeze. Um Sam also wants to hear more stories about keeping the dream alive, about post-grad years. I'm sure we'll have more of those. Also, always keep the dream alive. We never let it die. Especially not on this podcast where there's probably five people in this country training right now. And uh, everybody else, the thousands of others of ski racers are all in quarantine. Ski racing hasn't died. It's right here on Ski Racing this week. Anyway, Anton from Germany Dropped the fire emoji in my DMs in regards to the podcast, and he told me, one, he and his European homies listened to it, and two, it is the best, quote-unquote, best skiing podcast. Anyway, I tell you, we're going places. Lastly, Finnegan is looking for a guy like Odermatt on the show. Uh, to talk of the difficulties of racing GS and speed on the World Cup circuit. He went further to say that maybe I should try to see if there's beef between Loic Maillard and Marco Odermatt. Okay, please don't tag me as the guy who stirs things up. But I would certainly love to find more juicy stories, like the one we dug up last week with Luca. So if there's anybody out there that can get me a juicy story or just get me in contact with Marco Odermatt, hit me up, please. To everyone that messaged me or emailed me, thank you. Every single one of the suggestions is something that is interesting and I will probably have in the show at some point because of you. So thank you. Remember, direct any and all, no matter how small, questions, comments, suggestions, and even grievances to ski racing this week at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram at jimmy underscore who underscore. Alright, for all you History Channel fanatics, and anybody else, this is a story, it's not as exciting as a young and upcoming skier on the World Cup circuit right now, for some of you maybe, but for others who enjoy rich history, this is going to be cool, and I encourage you all to stick through the whole thing, because there are some really cool stories in this segment, and most of them have not been told before. So, what I'm talking about is Chris Anthony. He is a longtime Warren Miller skier and general ski-meister man. He tells us about the documentary he's making on the 10th Mountain Division, and specifically how it relates to ski racing. And I told Helmut Verer that he could give me a call anytime, so we'll just have to wait for that. Without further ado, Chris Anthony. A warm welcome to Chris Anthony, who formerly competed internationally in ski racing and big mountain skiing. He's been in 28 Warren Miller films and now runs the Chris Anthony excuse me, Chris Anthony Youth Initiative Project. Chris, great to have you.
0: Great to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: So you've got a lot to tell me about this really cool new project on the 10th Mountain Division. Um, but first, I want to hear your story. So how did you end up skiing, ski racing, and extreme skiing?
0: yeah well um grew up in colorado i actually when i was a little little kid i was a freestyler but then um realized that freestyle at that time was not in the olympics and you know i always looked up to the olympic athletes i always thought wow i want to try to be olympian one day Uh and ski racing was so i switched over and quickly realized that i had a lot to learn um and so switched over to ski racing and then kind of built my way up through the system, as you know, very well. Uh-huh. And, of course, uh-huh. uh, created tons of friendships and got to see a lot of things and travel a lot of places. And uh, kind of came up during that era where the um, U.S. Um, you know, ski team it didn't have a lot of financial support. I mean, it's always been a struggle, but especially then, you know, I wasn't quite over that last... I mean, you need to be the one percent of the one percent if you're going to move forward and give up college. So um, it was during that phase that I also kind of grew out of ski racing because I felt like once I was at college, I couldn't give it the the effort that you need to be competitive. Yeah. And but I still had that competitive bone in my body with skiing, so I started just going and competing in all sorts of goofy events all over the place. And um, it was one of those events. It was an all around skier competition where the Warren Miller guys um, actually saw me and invited me on a film shoot, which was like a dream come true. Oh, I'm sure. And,
1: so you're 20 and something so, and you're graduating. Yeah. Out of, you're at what college at this point?
0: University of Colorado in Boulder. Okay. Yeah. So it was uh, when, when the Warren Miller guys threw that. Um, opportunity at me it kind of opened up this whole new yeah um avenue for me to stay involved in the sport and uh just be there and it was also at the same time simultaneously Mm -hmm. that the alaskan frontier basically was opening up and um you know that first time up there i when i got invited up there i literally went up there with total ignorance i was um um got up there and i thought i was going to a ski area i didn't realize i was going to a place that did not have chairlifts or anything and i showed up you know with my gs skis my padded pants and all that to uh to ski up there and it was uh it was alaska it was the <laughs> new new yeah. frontier and i was so i got to be part of that sort of first wave of just flying blindly up in Alaska and being part of that first generation that got to see those mountains. And then all of a sudden the competition started arising and then slowly the sports started evolving mm-hmm. towards it. You know, what was happening, the ski design, clothing design, um, learning about backcountry, etiquette and backcountry gear. And I mean, the first time I went up there, I didn't so much have a beacon or a backpack or, Wow. anything we just went skiing yeah. and so it's been neat to be part of that side of the sport and the evolution of it and then simultaneously I was staying involved always with Warren Miller Entertainment and um, volunteering as um, you know in there everything from the warehouse to being on the road with the film and everything anything I could do to possibly go on the next shoot or okay. be able to have the opportunity to go on another shoot And I kind of got coined as the athlete that would be willing to do anything, you know, go anywhere and do anything and make a fool of myself or not just just go. And um, I think in the long run, that was a huge bonus because I got to see some of the most amazing places on our planet because of this sport. And because of that film company and going there and trying to tell a story through the sport of skiing, but also about the culture and the location. So it's been a fun run.
1: That's really cool, especially the part about telling a story through skiing. And that is what you are doing now um, with your new documentary called Mission Mount Mangart for a few years now, right? Yes. And so what inspired you to tell this story? I don't want to give away too much, but um, yeah. I, you know, I saw the saw the sneak preview you gave me, and does it involve a watercolor by a soldier?
0: So, um, so, so my history with actually filming with Warren Miller Entertainment, going on all those film shoots about um, sixteen years ago. I'm just kind of throwing that, that was about the time we're always trying to come up with unique ideas to bring across in their feature film, you know, their uh-huh. annual film. And a lot of people came to me with the story about the 10th Mountain Division. And one of the stories was like, I mean, these guys did so much, it's unbelievable. But one of the stories was about um, a weekend, on a weekend pass, they went from Camp Hale where they were training in Colorado in 1943 over the mountains on their new experimental gear and all the way to Aspen, and then partied that night at the Hotel Jerome, uh-huh. and then hitchhiked back to Glenwood Springs, took a train back to Camp Hale, but I thought, wow, what a, what an amazing story that is, and so I tried to see if I could pitch that as a segment for the film, and we recreate it. Um, it got denied because of permitting to go out on the national parks and and out in We just couldn't get the permit, Uh but what it did do was make me come more aware of who these guys were Mm -hmm. and their connection to the ski industry, their connection to Colorado. And I kind of felt, um, it was, I couldn't believe that I grew up literally through 30 miles from where these guys trained and I didn't know much about their history. Uh It's And I I was kind of embarrassed by that. So um, I continued on with the research and then um, reached out to the Warren Miller team again. And I said, you know, a lot of these guys at that time were in their late 80s. We should go get some interviews with them and just have them in the archives just in case down the road. And that process put me directly in touch with quite a few of them and starting to learn more and more about who they were and what they did. And then the Warren Miller team fell in love with it as well. And we ended up producing a movie called climb to glory, which is about the 10th mountain division, Mm -hmm. mainly in camp Hale, with a little stink in um, Italy and then coming back and basically building our ski industry in the way they did. So that kind of that film, which I've, simultaneously I started a youth project where I would go around and mentor kids and go into schools and everything. And I used that film to go into the classroom and share their story, which teachers loved because it was a step into history. history. Yeah. 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 And it was educational. And all of a sudden now we're talking about who was the president during, you know, 1944 and, and what was going on in the world. And, to me, growing up, history was boring, but this brought history to life, and it was really fun because it was through a, a skiing story. Um, so while that was all going on, people kind of coined me as like, um, well, Chris is the Tenth pound expert, which I was not at all. I just was uh-huh. flying by the seat of my pants. So again, simultaneously, and a lot of this is like destiny sort of stuff that I'm talking about. I have also been going over to Italy and bringing groups of people to go skiing over there in the one part of Italy, the northeastern region, which you might know well from ski racing. um, Yeah. Stairtranj Gagora and um, Albruna and Salonavea. There's some World Cups and uh, Europa Cups in that region. But um, my friend that I got to know well Marco Tanazzi, who raced on the Italian national team through the 80s and then came and raced pro here in the United States. We became close friends, but him and his brothers opened up this little hotel in a little village in Italy, and I started bringing people with him over to that village. And this had been going on for about 15 years, and I never had... um, any knowledge that any of world war ii activity took place in that region at all it oh. was the front line for world war one and there's a lot of history there but you know i even asked about it. i even asked Marco, go you know were, were the american troops ever here were they ever here and nope so then pass a few years down the road and this is where things get kind of just crazy but um a retired general of the Slovenian Mountain Troops had come to Colorado and visited the Ski and Snowboard Museum here in Vail. Uh-huh. And he he's always been intrigued by the story of the 10th Mountain Division. But as he was going through the photos and looking at the archives and everything at the museum, and he also went to the Denver Public Library, he noticed there's a big gap in their story completely missing from our records, along with the fact that a lot of the photos were even mislabeled as the wrong location. So he quickly realized that none of us knew that the 10th Mountain Division was actually in the northeastern corner of Italy, which at that time was Austria-Yugoslavia in Italy.
1: So is the... Is the Vale Ski Museum kind of the authority on the 10th Mountain Division in the country?
0: But they have an incredible display there, and uh-huh. it's very interactive, and it's amazing. But also, there most of the museums, there's one in New Hampshire, the Vermont Ski Museum has an amazing display. Uh-huh. Um, quite a few. And so but this uh, guy,
1: this Slovenian guy, he was... Um, involved was he involved with the the U.S. Tenth uh, Mountain Division during their World War II stint?
0: No, no, he was um, he was younger. Uh, uh-huh. He's in his seventies, but he was kind of a historian of mountain troops. Gotcha. And and he he was always blown away by the American Tenth Mountain Division and what they did because they're one of the youngest mountain troops of any. Um, nation like uh-huh. the oldest mountain troop is is Italy, and then um, everybody else has their mountain troops. You know the Austrians, the French, everybody. But we never had a mountain troop
1: mm-hmm.
0: until World War Two. Gotcha. And and then we, of course, developed it, which is part of my story the, the documentary, and um, and instantly what our mountain troop did during World War Two. Was historic. What yeah. they I mean, it was mind-boggling. Mm-hmm.
1: So, so this, so uh, this Slovenian guy, he he says there's this huge gap in in the Valeski Museum and what and what you guys know about the Tenth Mountain. Um, they, it turns out they actually were in northeastern Italy. So take me to that that point in time.
0: Yes. Yeah, so and then so he, he he pointed that out. But what even brought it closer to home for like you, me, and all the skiers in the world is that. The 10th Mountain Division, on June 3rd, 1945, on this amazing mountain called Mount Mangart, which is right at that time on the border of Yugoslavia and Italy, and nice. now Slovenia in Italy, present day, they held a ski race, and it was coined as the first post-World War II ski race. So, of course, wow. that got my attention 100%. I was like... yeah. Well, we got to talk about that. That that sounds like a Warren Miller segment. That sounds like an amazing story. And um, what even made this ski race more um, significant is that the individual that won it, Walter Prager, who in 1931 and 1933 was actually the world champion. He was Swiss. He won the world championships. He... He moved to the United States to, to escape the tyranny of Hitler and then became the head coach of Dartmouth and then helped recruit for the 10th Mountain Division that would be activated during World War II, fought with his younger people um, through the war, and then here they were at the end of the war celebrating, held a ski race, and um, he, he won that, but the guy that got second was Steve Knowlton, who was on the 1948 Olympic team. And then, um, so bottom line is they were world-class skiers competing in this ski race. So it wasn't just your, uh, run of the mill ski race. These these were some of the best skiers in the world. And they, here they were post world right after Germany surrender. They saw a mountain, they saw snow on it. They go, let's go have a ski race. Yeah. So, I thought, this is such a great skiing story, I want to tell it. But as I started delving into it, to really really explain that, I need to explain who those guys are. Yeah. And so in order to explain their character and who people like Walter Prager are and Steve Milton, I need to go back to the beginning, 1939, uh-huh. when the recruitment started. And, and as I started doing that, It started opening up all sorts of other stories that have not been told. So I would start going down this rabbit hole. Now all of a sudden I have this very complex, very deep um, documentary that's filled with a lot of information about this amazing generation of men and women that built, basically, are a big part of our U.S. skiing history.
1: Yeah, it's and I so so as I mentioned, I've I've got to see parts of it and the i just think it's such a relatable story like any ski racer knows like you know i'm sitting here in quarantine and i look up at the mountain and i go where can i set a course like i want to get back out on the course i can imagine those guys you know the war's over they've won and it's what it, it's like may at this point right and and they look up at the mountains and they just see a snowfield and they say let's have a race and it's not any race it's a race with some of the world's best ski racers um So, what what were these guys skiing on for equipment? Was it like, it's leather boots and wooden skis, right?
0: Yeah, leather boots, wooden skis, but but even that part, and I haven't been able to track this down for my documentary uh, with enough facts to tell it, but they had captured um, all the German ski gear. So, after Germany surrendered, they came across a storage unit somewhere, and I haven't being able to find out exactly where this was, and that's that sh- it was a barn, mm-hmm. and it was filled up with tons of liquor and tons of climbing gear and ski gear. So the tenth uh, took all of it, uh-huh. and uh, they took it with them over to the border of Yugoslavia. And the reason they were along the border of Yugoslavia during that period of time is that right after Germany surrendered, Tito, who was the dictator of Yugoslavia sent his troops into Italy. And so the allies, which include the 10th Mountain Division, sent their troops, led by the 10th Mountain Division, over along the border of Yugoslavia and Italy in these amazing mountains that I'm sure you've seen called the Julian Alps. Yep. And the And the 10th pushed them back over the mountains successfully. There weren't any shots fired. And it became kind of a cold war and there was a neutral boundary and Mount Mangard sat right on this neutral boundary. Uh-huh. So here the 10th were holding the line, but sort of trying to keep themselves busy. So one of the ways that they entertained themselves was by saying, look at that snowfield up on Mount Mangard. Let's, we got all this gear. Let's go up there and have a ski race.
1: So they're, and, they're on the border of you know on the other side of the mountain is the is the enemy uh, Yugoslavians and and they decide to have a ski race on their side of the mountain. Yes.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's pretty it's just the, the whole thing and it just it's so amazing when you when you think about what these guys have been through yeah. already. You know, they left home my story starts in 1939 and these guys left home 17, 18 years old a lot of them lied about their ages made themselves older than what They were some of them even 16 left home, you know, to go defend our country and go fight in this war in a long place so far away, especially back then. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, fought all the way through, went to Colorado, went to Texas, took boats from Virginia over to Italy, marched all the way through Italy, watched so many of them, a thousand of them died, Mm -hmm. 5,000 injured, through these battles, some of the harshest battles all the way through the center of Italy and up until May 2nd where Germany surrendered in Italy and you would think the the one still in them, and that's what I want to try to bring across is Mm -hmm. that still inside them, these guys were alpinists, they were mountain men, they were skiers and they still had that sort of, they saw, looked up, saw a mountain, and still saw a ski run, mm-hmm.
1: you
0: know, even after everything they've been through.
1: Even after the, yeah, I mean, you know, the story, it, they went through some serious hardships, and, and not only that, you know, constantly climbing mountain over mountain, constantly, you know, pushing German soldiers, Axis soldiers back. Um, and then there's the whole segment where they're kind of fending people off from all directions because they're kind of just marching straight through everything and they're sleep deprived and, you know, it's a fantastic story. Um, and I'm, I'm glad you're telling it because, and and I'm glad you got these interviews with these guys who went through it because they're fascinating interviews that bring you right into the action and, you know. I mean, it's just kind of nature, you know, we're slowly losing all of the people that experienced this. So the fact that you're telling the story, I think is, is so important. Um, And something that's, that, you know, struck out to me was the fact that they said, you know, when they're recruiting the 10th mountain skiers, we need to make soldiers out of skiers, not skiers out of soldiers. And that's how a lot of ski racers and former ski racers ended up becoming Soldiers in the tenth mountain division. Can you talk about that a little bit?
0: Yeah, which um opens up a whole nother can of worms basically. As I was um going back through their history and so that uh, I'll do the, the short of the long of it. Yeah. In nineteen thirty seven, um and between then and nineteen thirty nine, the Russia nineteen thirty nine, Russia invaded Finland. Uh With a a half a million tanks and a million man army. And the Finns were a small army with 250,000 men with rifles and skis. And the Finns defeated the Russians. And the reason they were able to do it is because they were able to maneuver, outmaneuver the Russian army Uh on their skis. That was um, noticed by a few um, Dartmouth guys. And so, as, the, as chaos was developing in Europe, quickly a few very intelligent men in the United States um, said, you know what, we're going to get drawn into this war. This war is going to be fought up in the mountains. It's going to be fought in cold terrain. Mm-hmm. We need to develop a mountain unit. So, the guy that was kind of the big pusher of all this was Minnie Dahl, who was the founder of the National Ski Patrol. So, again, these are these are skiers coming up with a ski unit. So you know, you just think yeah. about it. You sitting around the, an après party with you and your buddies after a day of skiing, and you decide that you want to develop a military unit of skiers, <laughs> and then you go pitch it to the to basically the government. The the chief of staff of the war department was uh, uh, General George Marshall, and um, he. You know, then for him to give you a blank check and go, okay, make a ski unit. So all of a sudden, you go start recruiting all your buddies, right? Just guys you've raced
1: against, right?
0: Right. And so this cool unit is kind of developing. So you can imagine the characters, like who they were and like how fun they were. And, you know, you've been around skiers. Skiers are fun people. Yeah. And, And they're outgoing and they're so athletic. Like the best all around athletes. I mean, you see it all the time when, like, when you know our app, when our skiers go and compete in those superstar challenges like Bodie and stuff like that, they do great against the NFL players and everything. Skiers are great athletes, and um, so you have all these amazing athletes. They're highly educated because a lot of them, you know, at that time it was kind of an elite sport, and a lot of them are in colleges and things like that. So um, it, it starts growing. But this is where I stumbled across a story that again has not been told. It has not been brought forward and it's very important, but um, there was a woman highly involved in the initial recruiting of the 10th Mountain Division, and her name was Deborah Bankhart. And um, she, if, if you put it like in slang, she was the hot skier chick in the East. Uh-huh. Like, she was skiing around with Dictorants and things like that, and she was part of the boys and ripping around with them. And so Minnie Doll got a this this budget from the war department. So he goes out and recruits a filmmaker. And it turns out this filmmaker was who Warren Miller looked up to and his this wow, filmmaker
1: all connected. Was
0: John Yeah, John Jay and he goes and John Jay basically was hired to put a propaganda sort of film together, a ski film, and go tour the country showing a ski film, much like the Warren Miller tour has done present day. And but his narrator, so the person that would be presenting the film and, at ski areas and at colleges and on campuses and in bars and everything, was Deborah Bankhart, this really cute skier girl. So, I mean, mm-hmm. think of the combination: you got skiing, you got après ski party, you got a, a this cute girl that's the ripping skier that's narrating this film. You got a festive site, and then you're you're developing this yeah. ski thing. So they who wouldn't want to be part of this new experimental light infantry unit that was going to be the ski troop and be part of that. So you had amazing, yeah. amazing characters that were all part as world-class athletes, incredibly intelligent. And, um, and then they built them a camp in, uh, Colorado uh-huh. to train at. And they built that camp, you know, in seven months and, for uh, 30 million dollars back then and gave them this special place so
1: that's you cool. had
0: a, a unit of skiers with incredibly high morale and that were smart highly motivated loved being around each other they weren't necessarily military type guys but that's where that comes in it's easier to make soldiers out of skiers right there rather you than go skiers out of soldiers yeah and so, such a unique unit, but it also explains why they were so successful during the war and why they would still have that passion and those eyes to look up at a mountain after the war and say, you know what, I want to go up and be on that on that slope
1: and yeah,
0: set up a GS course.
1: Yeah. Well, we've got to start to wrap things up, but um, I wanted uh, to, to you to talk a little bit about a little more about your youth initiative project. Um, and so what's its mission? You, you say you you go you went and showed this 10th Mountain Division um, film to the kids and it was a way to kind of get the kids interested in, in, and uh, get to them. But um, yeah, tell me a little more about that.
0: Yeah, so about over 20 years ago, Colorado Ski Country asked me to go into schools and mentor kids to get them excited about skiing and like all sorts of schools. And sign them up for what was called the fifth grade passport program. Mm -hmm. I did that for a while. So I go into the classroom and I would share my Warren Miller stories, the 10th Mountain story, and things like that. And then seven years ago, I actually became a nonprofit. So not only do I go into the classroom with a mentoring message and bringing educational material in a creative way into the classroom to get the kids thinking outside that, I also bridge the kids to experiential. Uh, um, opportunities beyond the classroom. So I raise a, a lot of money, and I provide opportunities for kids to be bridged to experiences that they can't have or mm-hmm. n- normally wouldn't be able to afford or do. But um, and then and again, underneath that whole process is back in the classroom what I can bring in there, and it's been a a, a wonderful way for me to share our history of the United States, world history and everything through the story of the 10th Pound division with students all over the country, especially here in Colorado, but, um, through their stories. So the way that this movie that I'm doing right now, mission Mount Mangart, is a not for profit educational documentary. So uh-huh. I'm doing it all through donations, uh, tax deductible donations and, Developing the film that way and in the long run when we when I go to distribute it or show it It'll only be shown for educational purposes or for fundraising purposes gotcha. So it's not for a profit thing. This is purely to keep alive our history and um, and Create education and develop excitement around education.
1: Wow, that is really cool So where can people donate to, to, to help the film?
0: Absolutely, they can go right to my website Chris, chrisanthony.com,
1: Chris dot com and
0: um, and there is a, uh, a basically a link right there. You can do PayPal uh, link, or you can uh, you can donate a check. There's information if you want to do a check, or if you have a, a foundation and want to do a grant. I am a not for profit, but the easiest thing would be to contact me directly, Chris at ChrisAnthony.com, mm-hmm. and we can figure out what the best donation avenue for you as an individual or as a foundation or um, whatever it may be for, as a company, that mm-hmm. would work out best for you. But uh, I do carry my 501C and this is a uh, not-for-profit educational documentary.
1: That's cool, so when are you expecting to have it um, done?
0: Well, so I originally was supposed to have it done by this June mm-hmm. because this June would be the 75th anniversary of the ski race And Um, in Slovenia, and there was going to be a huge celebration about it, but because of Corona and everything, everything's been canceled. So we have delayed that for a year to do the actual showing in Bovet, Slovenia. But I do plan, I'm hoping that we'll be out of this whole thing, and I would like to do a big premiere and do a few premieres this fall around the country. So again, if you or somebody... That would like to host or premiere of this film in your in your village or your school or your yeah. you want to do as a fundraiser I would be totally open to that like I definitely want to do a showing at Dartmouth I, I definitely want yeah. to do a showing in Denver um, but um, and all those and the way that we'll do those is that whatever proceeds are raised will go to benefit my youth project as well as a local non-profit so we'll split that We'll split it. So there's an incentive to not only show this film, but also it'll benefit that community. The
1: community where it's showing. That's cool. So yeah. Michaela Schiffer has been promoting this art contest so young yes. kids can provide art for the film?
0: Yeah. I, I kind of skipped over that. I um, So the, the, the story about Deborah Bankart, the woman that helped recruit... Actually, I told Michaela about that story. And Michaela is actually part of the documentary. Mm-hmm. She brings Deborah's story to life in my documentary. So she's linked to the documentary. And then as we've been going into this this um, this you know this, we're quarantine thing, I reached out to Michaela. I go, you know, I'm working on this documentary still. Um, you know, I want to get kids involved. What do you think about this idea? So Michaela and I have put a pitch out there for elementary school kids uh-huh. to go and study, re- do some research about who the 10th Mountain Division was. And in your image of the 10th Mountain Division, do some, draw a picture, uh, paint a picture, do a sculpture, do some art, and put your vision of the 10th Mountain Division down on paper and submit them to me, chris at chrisanthony.com. And what I'm going to do is definitely feature the best 10 in some creative way into the the planes of the documentary. But with the response I'm getting, I mean, I may have to do something more with that, but we're going to give away some awards and, and it's just basically a way for kids right now. They're at home. This is a good homework project. It makes them delve into a little history, do some research and get their creative juices going and also learn about this heritage of the 10th round division in American history.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, parents, kids out there, um, head to chrisanthony.com to to, uh, to uh, enter and do that. That sounds awesome. Um, and remember, yeah, chrisanthony.com is where you can find out about um, basically everything that Chris is up to. I I checked it out earlier today, and there's some great vintage uh, Warren Miller footage too that I spent some time watching. So that's all the time we have, Chris. But um, I'm really excited about this film that you're making. From the glimpses I got of, of it so far, it is a completely, it's a story I've never heard before. It's a story no one's really heard before. Um, and some really cool visuals, some really um, detailed, intense stories from people who lived it. And um, I'm excited for it for it to come out and I'm excited for anybody to watch it. Anybody who's a skier um, should be excited to watch it. Um, and I love that it is connected to ski racing, because the podcast is Ski Racing This Week, so the fact that it's connected to ski racing makes it all the better. Yeah, thanks for being on the show.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: I've got a postscript, as always. I'm finding that when I stop recording on a phone call, I should really just keep it going, because some of the most interesting stuff comes out after we stop recording. Chris told me he forgot to mention that The whole point of the the movie, of the documentary, is he, not the whole point, but he goes up onto that piece of snow that the 10th Mountain Division skiers raced on all those years ago. He goes back up there and recreates the race. The same leather boots, the same wooden skis, the same, you know, probably the same bamboo gates, and I think that is really cool. Um, and so that, that'll be in the documentary as well. I'm anxious for it to come out. Now, as a listener, you probably know the drill. By this point, I want to talk to you a bit about Sync Performance. Sync Performance is a sponsor of the show. That's S-Y-N-C. S-Y-N-C performance.com is where you can go To uh, get 20% off, SR Podcast 20, that's SR Podcast 20, gets you 20% off your next online purchase. And like I've told you before, this stuff is designed for ski racers, by ski racers, and tested by ski racers. So needless to say, it is high quality stuff. The other sponsor of the show is the World Pro Ski Tour. And while there's no more racing this season... You can go to worldproskitor.com, worldproskitor.com, and they've got tons of videos from the season. From last season, they've got interviews with all your favorite characters, Michael Ankeny, Nolan Casper, Ted Liggety, so go check that out. Now, uh, we've done the mail, and uh, the only thing I've left on my list is to figure out how many shows I've done so far. I may need someone's help on that, because I I don't know how many it's been. Oh, we're, get, oh, we're getting a call. Helmet, thanks for calling. Yes, of course, Jimmy. Helmet, I was just trying to remember how many episodes I've done. Do you know? Nine. No, no, it can't be that many. Okay, well, do you know how many times you've been on? Nine. I'm sorry, Helmet, but that just seems like way too many. Jimmy, nine means no. I don't know how many shows. Oh, no, wait. Nine. You're right. No. Yes. Y- yes, nine. I mean, how many? How do you say it? Nine? Yeah, my ninth show. Wow. Maybe I should do something special for my tenth. Well, until then, next Thursday, that is, stay safe, stay healthy, keep others healthy, stay pumped, stay psyched, and listen to this podcast right back here for episode 10. Until then, I'm Jimmy Krupka. This is Ski Racing This Week, Ski Racing Media's official podcast. See you later.